Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of His love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. Here's this week's message from Pastor Brenton. Good morning. How are you all doing? Good? You look good? If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us. It's been a while since I've been up here. And I guess I already lost my voice in the first service. It's, it's, sounding, it's holding up now, so. Might be a little clunky, it might be a little rusty, but uh, you know what? If God's here, if he's speaking, that's, that's all that matters, amen? Awesome. Yeah, let's, let's pray and in, invite that to happen during this time. God, we're so grateful um, for you and who you are and that you're just such an amazing God. We just sang this most epic song of just picturing all of the angels that are bowing down and worshiping you and just to think that that by your grace we're invited into your presence to join in in that worship that is awesome and that's so great and so yeah father we we just we just pray during this time the remaining time that we have together this morning would you move would you move god would you shape our hearts, and, and would you speak to our hearts? Would you change our hearts, God? We, we want to be out of this building and walk out of this building a bit different because your spirit has spoken to us and, and your word has moved us, Lord God. So we pray that you would do that by your, your sovereign spirit. Amen. Awesome. Uh, yeah, like Claude said, uh, he is in Morden today, actually preaching chapter, chapter one of, of Nehemiah, and I am here preaching chapter two. We're continuing this, this Nehemiah series, and we'll continue it for uh, a little bit yet. And so I also encourage you, we have these fancy um, booklets in the foyer, brick by brick, um, and they're just really a walkthrough of the book of Nehemiah. It gets you to read the scriptures and then reflect and, and really think about what we read and apply it to our lives and listen to God and all of that good stuff. And I encourage you to do that because I think that's just a good idea, right? Like we could come here and, and have a series on Nehemiah. We can hear uh, a, a chapter, but like God can speak to you on your, on your couch, Right? God can speak to you at home, and he wants to do that. He wants to speak to you here for sure. But, but maybe the most info, info, impactful part of the series is actually going to be when you are with God alone reading. And so I encourage you, grab one of these books before you go. If you're through Nehemiah, read es- Ezra. I was going to say Esther. Read Ezra. Uh, it, originally, actually, they were kind of one conjoined book. And so... Um, I encourage you to read that, but, but let's not just come here and hear a word. Let's uh, meet with God ourselves. I think that's a great thing. Cool. Like I said, I, I'm going to be focusing on chapter two and actually the, just kind of the first part of chapter two mainly. Um, in, in chapter one, we, we see kind of the intro to the story of Nehemiah. We, we get introduced to Nehemiah and who he is. He uh, is a, a cupbearer for the king of Persia. And the story is that he, he hears word about Jerusalem and the state of the city and how its walls are in ruin. And this deeply affects Nehemiah. You know, it's, it's God's city. It's in ruin. The walls are down. It's vulnerable to enemies. It's, it's in rubble. And he is gutted. 
He, he, he weeps, he fasts, he mourns, he, he, he prays. And so now chapter 2 is, is picking up a little while later. So let's, let's read this, this part here. Early in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Anaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I never before appeared sad in his presence. And obviously he's, he's feeling sad now in this moment. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Nehemiah's terrified because he's about to kind of tell the king why he's sad. He's about to tell the king, I'm sad because Jerusalem's in, in ruin. I'm sad because the walls are destroyed. And, uh, and the king might not care, or the king might care and be like, that's none of your business. Like, you are here to serve me, right? And so Nehemiah knows this is the moment where he's really going to ask to go and rebuild the wall, and that could have a, a vast array of consequences. He could die, he could be, lose, you know, be thrown in jail. He doesn't know, so he's scared. But I, I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven. I love that. He's been praying about this for months, but he's, he's putting in one last prayer. I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone and when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Aspha, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need to make beams for the gates, for the temple fortress, for the city's walls, and a house for myself. So he is, Nehemiah's not just asking for, uh, you know, a, a work leaf here. He's, he's asking for safety. He's asking for supplies. He's really asking for a lot. And the king grants these requests um, because the gracious hand of God was upon me. I love that phrase there. Nehemiah knows why this is successful. He knows it's not because he's just that great of a cupbearer. He knows it's not because he just had this awesome plan. He knows that he was called by God and he knows that ha God's hand is on him to do this. And so he knows that in that place and, and from that place, this is where he's going to find success. Awesome. So as we look at this chapter, I want to look at a few things we see in Nehemiah's life that inspires me. I hope will inspire us. And the first thing that was really evident to me in this little story is that Nehemiah is faithful. We see the faithfulness of Nehemiah. He hears about the walls of Jerusalem, right? And he hears that they're in ruin. This deeply affects him. And I imagine it would just be hard because he's 1,300 kilometers away from Jerusalem. He's a long way away. And so at the same time, there's four months now that have passed since he first heard about the news, and he continues to faithfully serve the king with a smile. 
He doesn't look sad. He, he does his job. He, he shows up to work. And, and you were kind of supposed to do this if you were a cupbearer to the king. Everyone in the king's presence was supposed to be like, oh, king, you're the best. You're the greatest. And you're supposed to smile all the time. And, and so this is what Nehemiah does. He, he shows up and he does his job and he faithfully does what God has called him to do during those four months. And, and maybe this, this thought is really simple, but I really think that's, it's, an, it's important to be faithful with what's in front of us. And it's important to be faithful and the way that we work even is important to God. And I think sometimes that, that simple fact, we, we miss it. And, and often work to us is, is, it can be a grind, absolutely it is a grind. But we, but we, we, we have a dead end job not because of what we do, because, but because of the attitude of our heart, right? We don't realize actually, hey, my work is important to God. My work is worship. Do you know that? That your work is worship? And maybe you're confused and you're like, my work isn't worship, I... I'm a fry cook at Charlie B's. <laughs> How's that worshiping? <laughs> no, it's, it is worship. It is important to God. Look, look what it says in Colossians. It says slaves, and, and slaves is probably more accurate to say bond servants because we have kind of a different view of slavery. That's a whole other thing. Bond servants obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, get this, not only when their eyes on you to curry their favor. We always work harder when the boss is there, right? When the boss is in the room, like, get to work, get to work. He says, no, don't have, don't have that be your attitude. Work when, when they're not even looking, and it's not even about them just to get to like you. But, but this is the attitude, and this is why. With sincerity of heart and reverence for God. This is what you're doing. You're, you're working for him. You're, you're doing it for him. You're not working for anyone. You're actually doing it as an act of worship to God. Whatever you do, it says. Whatever you do. Say that to your neighbor. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters. If we really got that, if that sunk in, there would be no dead-end jobs. There wouldn't be a single job that's dead-end because we're, we're working for the Lord. We're, we're, we're waking up and we're serving Him. We're waking up with, with purpose. And I think Nehemiah, it might be overlooked, but this is what Nehemiah did during these four months. He showed up and he faithfully served the king, and he did that with honor. You, you, you look at the words that Nehemiah is addressing the king with. He's saying, long live the king. If it pleases the king and if the king is pleased with me, He's honoring this king. And this king isn't, isn't the best example of godliness. This is a, the king of Persia. This is a, a, a pagan king. Yet Nehemiah still serves this king with honor and still serves this king with respect and with excellence. And I think this is what we're called to do in 1 Peter 2. It says this really well. I like how it phrases this. Show proper respect to everyone Love the family of believers. I think it says that because there is just a special bond that the church should have, right? There's, there's a deep bond that we ought to have for each other. And out of that, that bond, love the world. We're to fear God. Ultimately, we serve one king, right? We serve one king and, and, and we're obedient to him. But part of being obedient to the king is honoring the emperor, 
And if you look at, at when, when uh, Judah is, is taken into captivity, the people that make the difference are people that, that honor, honor the king. They obviously stand up to the king when they're told to bow down or they're told not to pray, absolutely, because they serve one king ultimately. But, but they serve with honor, they serve with excellence, and, and they're faithful. And I think sometimes we, we don't see that what God has put in front of us now is important, and we ought to be faithful with it. What's in front of you now is not insignificant, because I don't think faithfulness is insignificant, amen? It's not insignificant to God. And look what Luke 16 says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. If you're dishonest with little things, you, will be, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And so often we see lots of characters in the Bible, and they're doing these things that aren't maybe, don't look like they're they're setting them up for any kind of success, right? If you look at Nehemiah, he's a, he's a cupbearer. Well, what does that have to do with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem? If you look at David, he's a, sh- a shepherd. That's even another level. Shepherds weren't important at all. It's kind of, it's kind of what you, you're like the, you send the losers to be shepherds, right? He's a shepherd. What does that have to do with being a king? You look at, at Joseph, and, and he's, he's in prison for a, a while. What does that have to do with, with the, the dream God put in a, his heart of ruling over his brothers? Well, actually, we, we get the benefit of reading these stories, right? And we get to see, wow, God, he set that all up. Like, God's good at that. He's good at, at, at setting things up. Like Claude said last week, he's this master chess player, and, and I think he's a 3D chess player. We don't, even, we don't even understand. And sometimes we look at these stories and we say, oh, yeah, cool. But do I see it in my life? Do I believe it in my life? Do I believe that God has a plan for me? Do I believe that what God's put in front of me now is important? And maybe he has things right, right maybe he has me right where he wants me. I think it's important to believe that and to have that, that just in our bones so that we can be purposeful, passionate, and faithful in what God's given us now, because that is important. Uh, the next thing I see from Nehemiah in these four months that, that really pumps me up is Nehemiah had a sustained passion for God and his kingdom. I always wonder, like, why, why was it Nehemiah, right? Why? Why Nehemiah? He, he lived way far away from Jerusalem. Like, there are people in Jerusalem. Rebuild the wall yourself. You're right there. Come on. Why is it Nehemiah that rebuilds the wall? And we know it's God's plan, right? It was, it's God's sovereign plan. But, but also linked to that, I think it was the faithfulness of Nehemiah. We talked about that. And then it's also because Nehemiah clearly has a passion for what God wanted to do. God had a heart. God didn't want the city of Jerusalem to be in ruin. And, and Nehemiah knew that, and he had this heart in line with God's heart. And, and if you want to be used by God, th- this is the people that God used. Have your heart in line with him and what he wants to do in the world. I'll, I'll repeat that again. You want to be used by God? How many want to be used by God? 30, no, 50%. Awesome. 
I know you all do. It's, it's so hard to get 100% people to raise their hand. You want to be used by God. Have a heart in line with God and what he wants to do. That's number one. That, that's number one. Often we look at the exterior things. We look at talent. We look at all of these things. No. Have a heart that's in line with God. Look what it says in Acts 13. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I've found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. And so David was, was out, way out in the pasture, being, being a shepherd. He wasn't even there being considered a king. And why was he placed king? And why was he, was he the one appointed by God? It's because he had a heart for God. He had a heart for God, and, and God knew, hey, if this guy's king, then my kingdom's going to be built. If I empower this guy, there's going to be some, some good, godly things that are going to happen. Second Chronicles 16.9 says the same thing. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Think about that. God's looking for men and women. Who, who are committed to me? Who's committed to me? Who, who, who has my heart? Who's in line with my heart? And, and when he, he finds these people, because he, he's God, he'll find these people, he'll find you. He's going to call you. He's going to call you. He's not only going to call you, he's going to equip you. He's going to empower you. He's going to strengthen you, because when that happens, you're going to bring glory to his name. Amen? How cool is that? And where is the starting place? It starts with your heart. It starts with your heart aligning with him and his purposes. But to me, in addition to this, what really gets me is that Nehemiah, Nehemiah, four months later, right? He, he, he hears about the walls of Jerusalem and he's, he is, he's weeping and he's crying but four months later, we actually see him. He shows up to work. And I don't know what it was about that day, right? I don't know what happened that one day that, that he shows up to work. And, and ultimately, he, if, if Nehemiah was a balloon, or his heart was a balloon, this is what was happening during that four months. You heard about the walls of Jerusalem. But he keeps going to work. But he keeps, he keeps praying. And he keeps praying, 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 and he keeps praying. Watch out, front row. And he keeps praying. And one day, he can't hold it in. Oh, that's pretty. One day he just can't hold it in because the passion inside of him was growing. And in my, in my study, I read a commentary and it, it, it said, you know what, this day was planned by Nehemiah. He woke up that morning, he was like, I'm gonna be sad in front of the king and then my plan's gonna be a go. I don't think that was the case. I don't think, I, I just think he couldn't hold it in anymore. His heart was full and his passion to see 
God's kingdom built and the passion to see the the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt was growing, 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 growing in his prayer life. And that morning again, or that day, he just couldn't hold it in any longer. And is that us in our life? And I look at me, is that me? Right? Because sometimes it can be easy to be filled with passion in a moment, right? You're like, woo! Awesome, this is exciting. But then life goes on, you go back to work, and you just feel it. I just had to make a fart noise, you knew I did. But how often is that the case? That passion in a moment gets big, but it slowly fizzles out. Maybe we're on our knees a little bit less, or we just kind of slowly let it fade, and different, different passions rob it, different maybe hardships rob our passion. But, but Nehemiah, that wasn't him. He let that passion grow and grow and grow, and I, I know it was fueled by prayer, I know it was fueled by time on his knees and he he wouldn't let this passion go. It was a growing thing inside of him. It reminds me of the parable of of the farmer who who sows seeds. And and this parable, it's, it's for those that accept the word of God, those that accept the logos of God. So that is the context of the parable. Um, But I think it can also apply and fits well with with the, the calling and the word from God that Nehemiah had to rebuild the wall. I'm going to read it. It says, The farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering seeds, some, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Jesus explains this parable later and actually talks about the sun being hardship and persecution because of the word of God that came. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And Jesus um, said that the thorns are the, the, the desire, the desire, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Just other passions, other worldly passions choke that seed. And still other seed fell on good soil, which produced a crop 160 and 30 times what was sown. And what I see in this, this parable is that not every, not every seed that, that sprouts up right away ends up going somewhere and producing fruit. Some, the, the sun comes up, persecution and hardship come up. And I think in Nehemiah's journey, he faced the sun. He faced persecution. He faced hardship. You actually, if you read to the end of the chapter, which I'm hoping you do, right? Grab a book. But if you read to the end of the chapter, you see he's already immediately met with resistance to rebuilding the wall. And so often it's, it's, it's here where that passion slowly fizzles, right? If you look at the thorns that could have robbed Nehemiah, he was in the palace, man. Like, Nehemiah had it pretty, pretty good. His job was a bit dangerous because he was a cupbearer to the king, so he had to k- test the king's food 
to make sure it wasn't poisonous. But man, he, he ate well, you know? You're gonna eat awesome until maybe you die one day. Hey, it's not a bad life. <laughs> he, his living quarters must have been amazing. He had respect. He had honor from, from his peers. It was a prestigious job that he had. He was trusted by the king. He was, he was welcome to talk to the king and in this place. Imagine all the excuses over that those four months that could have went through Nehemiah's head. Am I really called to rebuild the wall? Actually, the king had already said no to rebuilding the wall too. If you read Ezra, the king already, they, they were gonna start rebuilding the wall. King says, no, 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 we're not doing that. So Nehemiah is here four months and he's like, I've, I've been praying for three months, God, and nothing's happening. And the king already said no to rebuilding the wall. And I don't know how to rebuild the wall. And it's 1,300 kilometers away. Why can't they just do it? And I like my job. I like my comfort here. I got a good thing going on. So I'm just going to let this fizzle out. Right? But Nehemiah doesn't do that. He, he leaves the palace. He chooses to leave that all and go and do what God has called him to do. And this is the third point that I want to bring up today. Nehemiah he left the palace. He couldn't rebuild the wall from the palace, right? He didn't have FaceTime where he can be a contractor from 1,300 kilometers away. Put it a little right, put it a little left. No, he was called to leave. He was called to leave his job, his high-ranking position. He was called to leave everything he, he knew. And he was also called to risk his life to ask the king, right? Just like Esther, when Esther asked the king to not kill the Jews, that was... She was risking everything, risking her life. And Nehemiah, as he's going to ask the king, he is terrified. He has no idea what's going to happen next. Maybe his, deep inside he knows because he knows that God's with him and he knew that God's hand was upon him. But still, there's those thoughts of what if, what if he kills me? What if he throws me in jail? All of those thoughts could have taken Nehemiah's passion, could have choked his passion, and, and the comfort of the life that he had could have choked that passion, but no, it didn't. And I want us this, this morning just to look at our own life and, and our own calling that God has on my life, on your life, to, to build his kingdom. Are we willing to leave the palace as well? Are we willing to leave our palace? It's hard, right? We like our comfort. There's nothing wrong with, you know, my afternoon's probably gonna be on a couch watching football. That's okay. It's okay to you know, be physically comfortable sometimes, but God is still gonna call you to step out in faith. God's gonna call you to follow him more than just coming to church on Sundays more than just helping out a little, like giving once in a while or volunteering. Ah, oh, let's volunteer once a month. You know, <laughs> we like that amount of commitment. It's like, God, Jesus, don't take more. <laughs> like, that's a lot. I'm busy. But ultimately, if we want to follow Jesus, it means leaving the palace. It, it means surrendering everything, right? Jesus always made that clear in the Bible. Everyone wanted to follow him because he's the best, 
He's awesome. He's doing miracles everywhere, and people are being healed and set free, and all of a sudden you get bread and all these things, and it's like, whoo, I want to follow you. And in Luke 9, we see this. It says, as they were going along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And all of a sudden, it got really real, right? And I don't, I don't exactly know what happened to this man, but I, what happened to this man, but I'm going to. My guess is that this man didn't end up following Jesus. And you know what happens to this man? You know what he goes on to do? We don't know. We never hear. We never hear from him again, Right? Because if we're going to be people that build God's kingdom, it's going to take leaving the palace. It's going to take giving him our lives. You know, it's it's the Esthers that risk it all. It's the Abrahams that leave their home country. It's the disciples that left their nets. It's Nehemiah that leaves the palace. These are the people that we see making a difference for God. It's the people that said, God, I'm giving you my life. And again, that doesn't always mean you're going to leave your country. That doesn't always mean you're, you're even going to change jobs. But it, it, it does mean that God is going to call you to things that are out of your comfort zone. God's going to call you to some scary things. And, and, and we need to say yes to that call. Amen, church? John, John Friesen uh, kind of gave every, every ministry leader in the church, everyone who's pretty much, if you're in charge of anything, and he said, spend some time alone with God and just ask, ask what he wants to do in this ministry. Ask what he wants, uh, get his, get his heart for what you're doing, right? Because it can be really easy in our line of work to be like, I know what I'm doing. I know how to run a night. I know how to run a program and all these things. And so Part of, um, I was going to take the, the afternoon, and I did take the afternoon, to ask God of his heart for, for local ministry, which I'm in, kind of helping to oversee. So it's just how do, we, how do we love people that are outside of the church in this area, right? And so I get on, I, I get on my couch, and I immediately start thinking like, okay, hey, what programs do we need to create and events and all those things? And I'm excited, and there's nothing wrong with that, and I, I will be planning those things. That's important, right? But God kind of stopped me in my tracks, and, and he just really gave me the, the, kind of the simple thought, you know what, if, if, our, if our church and us as a church, if we don't just go and love people, if we're not in it with people, if we're, if we're not looking people in the eyes and, and loving them and telling, telling them that Jesus loves loves them, then, then we're not really going to make any difference, are we? We have to leave our comfort. We have to go into the world. We have to be as witnesses for any of this to happen. And I'm so thankful that we have a God. We have Jesus who did this for us, right? We were down. He was in heaven, the ultimate palace, the ultimate place that you would not want to leave. And he sees us needing help, and he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna enter, I'm gonna enter that mess. <laughs> right? Literally, he was born in a manger. 
I'm going to enter that mess and I'm going to get low. I'm going to love people. I'm going to love the, the widows and the orphans. I'm going to love the, the outcasts and I'm going to look them in the eye. I'm going to love them. And I'm going to seek and save those who are lost. I'm so glad that Jesus came to do that for me. Amen? He came and did that for us. And now he's calling us to follow him and do the same. To be his ambassadors, to be his, his witnesses, to tell people about the, the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and to disciple, to fulfill the great commission through us. And it means, it means answering that call. It means answering the call that God has on your life. There's a specific call, right? I, I can't even be here and tell you it's gonna look like this or it's gonna involve this. You probably won't even know what it looks like necessarily if you say yes, right? It's like, I say yes to you, God. Now, what does this even mean? I don't know. That's okay. You won't have all the details. You'll never have all the details. Sometimes you won't know what God's doing. Sometimes you're like, God, I'm here. I feel like I'm called here, but I'm here right now. What do I do? Faithfully serve. Faithfully love. And, and, and I pray that, that your heart would be bursting with passion for God and with a passion for his kingdom. Again, you might not know exactly what that looks like. There might be topics and, and, and people that we have a passion for that come and go, but what should never come and go is that our hearts are full of a zealous desire and passion to build his kingdom. Amen? And that's what we want and that's what we need. If we're going to rebuild, this is how it's going to be done. It's going to be through leaving our palace. It's going to be through answering the call in our life. Matthew 16, it says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Let's lose our lives. Let's, let's, let's answer the call of God. It, it's way better than not, right? The reward of doing this is that we get to roll with Jesus. We get to be used by Jesus. We get to have Jesus inside of us, working through us, strengthening us, empowering us, and leading us. And is that easy? And is it comfortable? Not always. Is there the sun that comes out? Yeah. Are there thorns that try to kill that passion? Yeah. Well, let's have a heart. That, 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 that keeps expanding and growing with a love for him and his people, with a love that leads us to leave the palace and answer the call of God on our lives. Amen, church? Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.